Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Hello everyone. Um, As Eve said, my name's Joanna. I'm a member of the congregation. Um, And we're doing a summer series on the disciples of Jesus. And I picked Peter, everyone's favorite disciple, at least that's what preachers normally say. Um, And I think I actually made a really bad choice. Um, But you're going to have to wait to the end of the sermon to really find out why I, in hindsight, think this maybe wasn't an ideal passage to pick. I'm going to start off, I'm going to read the passage, um, but I wanted to warn you that straight afterwards, what I'm going to ask you to do is either think to yourself or again turn to the person next to you for one minute to think about what question you would ask the uh, gospel writer, Matthew, if you could, about this passage. What's like one or two questions that you were like, I'd just love to be able to ask Matthew what that's about. So you can be thinking about that as I read this passage. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. When Peter got, then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right, so now either think to yourself or turn to the person next to you for one minute. And what question would you ask Matthew if you could? Go for it.
this on. Yes, thank you very much. Um, draw your questions to a close. Okay, so um, there are a bunch of questions that we're going to, in a sense, work through. So I'm going to ask you to put your hand up at various points if we're talking about the question or one of the questions that you were thinking about or discussing. Right? So did anyone have the question that goes something like, Matthew, did this really happen? Like, specifically, did Jesus and Peter actually walk on the water? Did anyone have that question? Oh, Eve had that question. Someone over there had that question. Great. There were a few people who had that question. Surprised it wasn't more. Um, this kind of question about Scripture, did it really happen, or what, what actually happened? And maybe it was a bit like that, but what were the actual events on the ground? Um, is what's sometimes called the historical sense of Scripture, right? Um, and this is the first of the four senses of Scripture that we're actually going to look at as we look at different questions. They're different ways of reading Scripture. So the historical sense of Scripture asks, did it really happen like that? And the short answer to this, I think, is I just don't see why not. Maybe that's why most of you didn't even ask this question. If Jesus is the creator king over all of nature, then there's just no reason to suppose that he couldn't walk on water. Moreover, the story is recorded not only by Matthew, but by Mark and by John as well in their Gospels. So even biblical scholars who maybe don't believe in God or don't think miracles can happen, they don't typically say there's no way anything like this could have happened. They typically say in the darkness and in the confusion of the storm, the disciples must have been confused. Maybe Jesus was walking on the surf, on the edge of the lake or the sea. But all three gospel stories are quite specific. that The boat was really far off, right? In Matthew's version, it says it was a considerable distance from the land. Mark's version said it was in the middle of the lake. And John says three or four miles out from the shore. So the gospel writers in all four cases are quite explicit that it's not that Jesus was just walking on the edge and they weren't as far out as they thought they were. Another theory, this one makes me laugh, is that Jesus was like astral projecting. And that's why they thought that he was a ghost because it was like a projection of himself from the edge of the lake. And I think before video projection was invented, that is at least as miraculous as walking on the water. Moreover, it doesn't really explain how it was that Jesus was able to pick up Peter and drag him out from the waves. So what we see with both these kinds of examples is that it doesn't really do justice to the text. There are things in the text, this is the text we're trying to explain and understand, that means these are not very satisfying explanations. In 2006, a group of scientists, and it was all over the news at the time, came up with a new theory to try and explain this particular miracle. And that was that there was a very thin surface layer of ice due to very rare weather conditions that do happen on the Sea of Galilee no more than every kind of 300 years. Um, and one happened uh, just before this, which they used as their evidence. And I actually think this explanation is perfectly plausible. It doesn't ignore any of the key parts of the texts. It's theologically adequate in that sense. It accounts for all the data. But it is no less amazing to me. It doesn't in any way undermine Jesus' divinity. After all, whenever a miracle happens, we would expect to see physical changes in the world. 
that's literally like why it's miraculous, because the physical world is doing something really surprising and unexpected. So Jesus has control over nature and over the universe. It doesn't matter to me whether he walked on water in its liquid form or for some amazingly perfectly timed natural event in its solid ice form. Neither of that should worry us. And I think that sort of, we don't have to worry about it, can apply to a lot of questions that people have and theories that people have around miracles and science and faith and things like that. But when people are objecting to miracles, I don't think they're very often objecting, how could this happen? The how question is often, a, sometimes at least, it's a kind of cover. The real question that people struggle with is the why question. Why did Jesus walk on water? Why did he do it then? Why didn't he do it in other times? So, this is our second question for hands up. Did anyone discuss at the beginning uh, why did Jesus send them into the storm alone at night? Anyone have that question? Yeah, some people had that question. I think that's a really tough question for this passage. It says very clearly, he told them to go ahead of him, and he went off and did other things. Right? He wasn't punishing them. They hadn't done anything wrong, as far as we know. There's no sense to which this is seen as a test in any kind of way. Sometimes Jesus just sent his disciples ahead of him. Now, the narrative, it does give us some clues that Jesus wanted to be alone with the Father. He'd actually been trying to get some alone time since his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And this kept getting interrupted um, by an urgent healing, a crowd that was desperate for teaching, and then no one brought their packed lunch, so we had to go and like multiply all the bread. Right? So... Um, he did need some alone time in the narrative. But to me, this still doesn't really explain why he sent them into a storm at night. He could have had them wait on the shore. He could have taken the little boat himself and then come back for them in the morning. We don't know why Jesus allows us and sometimes even sends us into storms. We might be scared. The disciples were terrified. They didn't just have seasickness, they probably thought there was a good chance they could die that night, just because they were following Jesus' instructions. And in that situation, I imagine they might have felt betrayed. They might have felt like they'd been made fools of for following this guy around. They might have felt abandoned and confused. And this storm lasted all night. Jesus comes to them around, estimated around between 3, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they've been fighting, John tells us, at their oars rather than their sails, all night. They must have been exhausted. But Jesus is the one, in fact, Jesus is the only one who could come to them in that storm. And he doesn't calm the storm immediately. He doesn't need to. He just walks straight through it. He walks straight through it to be with them. And this brings me to my next question. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Or rather, what does this episode that Matthew has chosen to include in his narrative of Jesus' life tell us 
about who Jesus is. This is the second sense of reading scripture, sometimes called the allegorical sense, or sometimes tropological, if you want the fancy words. And often what people try and do when they're trying to think of the allegorical sense, the second sense, is they try and find links between Jesus' stories in the Gospels and the Old Testament. And we see that there's absolutely heaps of that in this passage that helps us make sense of why Matthew included it and what he's trying to tell us. So this passage has all the signs of what's called an apocalyptic genre, right? You like apocalypse movies, right? It's got heavy symbolism, and it's written specifically to comfort a persecuted community, a community that found themselves in a storm. And the first readers might have identified then with the disciples in that boat. Jesus had left them on Ascension Day, and he'd given them his spirit, but he'd told them to go on. They must have felt sometimes as if without him. He visited them sometimes in visions or dreams and in the Eucharist when they shared the meal together. And that must have been a bit like seeing a ghost at a distance. But obviously Jesus comes to them even more in this story and comforts them and gets in the boat with them. Scholars have pointed to resonances with Old Testament texts as well. So we might think of 2 Kings 2. I'll be amazed if anyone knows immediately what that refers to. Um, Or Exodus 14. You might have a guess at that one. So 2 Kings 2 is when, just before Elijah is taken away in a kind of ascension-like story, he takes his disciple, Elisha, and they walk across the River Jordan together. What else? What about the Exodus story? Well, you might have guessed that that one is the Exodus. Oh, I just said that, didn't I? The Exodus story, when the Israelites taken out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea. Crossing stormy waters in miraculous ways would have had very clear resonances with Matthew's Jewish audience. And there are other clues as well, specifically to the Exodus, right? We've got the feeding of the 5,000 just before. It's a bit like the manna from heaven. And John makes this really explicit because straight after this story, the crowd, who's come around the edge of the lake, one presumes, catches up with them and says, what sign will you give us so that we believe in you? Our ancestors had manna in the wilderness. Give us the bread of life. To which in John's gospel, Jesus' reply is, I am the bread of life. So all of the gospel authors, by including this story in this place in the narrative, are making a really clear argument. They're presenting Jesus in continuity and fulfillment of the Old Testament. And these clues that we can gather from crossing water, giving people bread, um, they're all culminating in the story of the transfiguration three chapters from now where Jesus is raised up in a cloud and in light and with the same two people from Kings 2 and Exodus 14 placed at either side with Elijah on one hand and Moses on the other. But he's not quite like Elijah and Moses. If you read both of their stories, they uh, use their cloaks or their staff and they slap the water and parts and they walk through on the riverbed. Yeah, I thought about having a prop for that, but I'm not quite good enough at it. Um, Jesus doesn't need to part the water. He just walks on it. 
And this, for a Jewish audience, again, has a really clear link, this time to the book of Job, where it says, God alone stretches out his hand and treads on the waves of the sea. Walking on the waves is something only God can do. Parting the waves, apparently, some people get to do. (laughs) So what's the point of all this clever storytelling? Well, actually, in in the gospel we've got today, in Matthew's gospel, he makes it really easy for us by putting the point explicitly in the mouths of the disciples. After the end of this little episode, they say, truly, you are the son of God. And that's the point of the whole story. So let's look, though, at one last question that you might have asked. Did anyone ask, what does this actually mean for how I should live my life? Or any version of that. Should I get out of a boat? Should I follow Jesus into a storm? Wow, what did questions did you guys have? I've done a really bad job at predicting this. <laughs> um, so, a fourth way that we might read scripture is a mor- it's called the moral way. Looking for life lessons out of these stories. So what does this mean for how I should live my life? And we might think of sub-questions, so maybe you had these. Why did Jesus say to Peter, after he literally stepped out the side of a boat in the middle of a storm, ye of little faith? Right? So harsh, right? Feels harsh. And actually, this episode with Peter stepping out of the boat is unique to Matthew's gospel. Mark and John didn't include it. Um, And in Peter, we have a bit of a paradox in that biblical scholars are pretty 50-50 about whether or not Peter's meant to be a good or a bad example here. On the one hand, he's clearly become a symbol of radical faith in this specific episode. You might think of John Ortberg's award-winning book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, using Peter as as an example of, of radical faith. But Jesus also admonishes Peter. He tells him off for his lack of faith. He lets Peter come to him, and he saves him from the waves. But I don't think Peter is the hero of this story. And that's why I said at the beginning that when I got to this point in my sermon preparation, I thought this might not have been the best choice when it comes to looking at Jesus' followers who we might take examples from. And honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I have no idea what was going through Peter's mind. He seems to doubt it's really Jesus, but then he stakes his life on it anyway. Maybe it was stubbornness, the mindset of feeling betrayed. Fine then, I'll come to you. Maybe he'd just given up from all the exhaustion and just didn't care if he lived or died either way at this point. Maybe when he heard Jesus' voice, he was filled with faith, and he just gets a bit distracted when he starts sinking. We really don't know, and it's really not clear what the gospel writer Matthew is trying to tell us here in Peter's behavior. But that's okay, because the story isn't about Peter. It's not about his motivations, or his bravery, or his stupidity. It's a story about Jesus. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, your story is also ultimately about Jesus. Despite Peter's lack of faith, Jesus calls him and says, come. Despite Peter's recklessness and distraction, Jesus reaches out a hand and saves him. Despite any of your faults, your stubbornness, maybe you give up easy, maybe you don't think before you act and you just jump into the danger, no matter what, Jesus also reaches out a hand and saves you. And Jesus didn't need Peter to get out of that boat to come to him. Jesus was already coming to them. And sometimes I think it might have been better for Peter to endure the storm, to be a bit more patient, to not get out of the boat. That's never been a way I've heard this passage preached, but sometimes maybe that's the approach to take. To wait and to watch for Jesus as he comes across the waves to meet us. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.